You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is James Baroud. He is an advisor. He is a community leader. He helps build ecosystems within the business space. We're going to talk to him of the work he's done over the last 20 years, working with all sorts of companies, helping them find resources, plug themselves into the right ecosystems. I always find that uh, you know scaling a business can be challenging and difficult. It's even more difficult if you try to do it alone. <laughs> finding finding the right group of you know leaders, advisors, you know experts that can help you with all sorts of areas of your business. Um, the fact is, is we all have strengths and weaknesses and there's areas that we need help. We need support. We need insight. And so building out, you know, a good ecosystem, a good network is, is one of the key things I advise, you know, companies to do, leaders to do, entrepreneurs when they're looking to grow and scale, really, even if they're not looking to grow and scale, but especially if they're looking to grow and scale. So I'm really interested in having this conversation, kind of learning uh, what James has developed over the years, his insights in helping businesses and communities and ecosystems really support the, um, growth of industries and, and growth of businesses. So with that, James, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. So before we kind of uh, dig into what you're doing today, let's get a little bit of background and uh, history. How did you get into the space? What were you doing? Give us a little bit of the backstory. Sure. So out of college, undergrad, I went to work for a family business. So my family was in real estate, insurance, travel. And I did that for a few years. And then I went back to school, always had sort of an entrepreneurial bug and was around entrepreneurs and uh, innovators. So went back to school, went to get my MBA, graduated there and came back and was about to start a job at, at a large corporate tech company. And, um, and then I saw a job at an entrepreneurship center. At that time, there weren't that many around. Yeah. And I said, why not? I could always go back to corporate. Why don't I try this for a couple of years? Because uh, I was so passionate about entrepreneurship, right? And so I ended up staying 17 years <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, clearly it was something that was meaningful and impactful, perhaps not very lucrative, but it was, uh, it was great to be in uh, academia and helping build the bridges between academia and industry and helping entrepreneurs and innovators and family businesses. And so that was the first chunk of my career, the largest chunk of my career. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was really um, satisfying, right, to help not only students, but help the community be more successful. And then after that, I uh, took over the New Jersey Tech Council, which is one of the largest technology trade associations in the country, and set about re-energizing, strengthening that organization. Did that for a little over five years. And that was really great because, you know, extended the reach from a locality of North Jersey to the region, from Philly to New York, mostly New Jersey. But we helped the ecosystem be more successful, be more robust from tech entrepreneurs to tech leaders 
to large companies that wanted to innovate more effectively. So that was really great. And then I left that about a year and a half ago, and then I started advising companies, again, doing things I had done before, but more, you know, one-on-one, and also advising cities and universities and, and other nonprofits on how to sort of build, nurture, and leverage startup and innovation ecosystems. So that's what I'm doing now, and that brings me to today. Yeah. When we talk about innovation, I guess, how do we, or I guess, how do you kind of define that term from a practical point of view? Like when you're, when you're trying to increase innovation or, or create an innovation ecosystem, what is the end result of that or what does success look like? Right. So it's, it's, it depends on the type of company, right? I mean, innovation at its core is, is just useful invention, right? So that means anyone can invent a product, but if it's not applicable or it's not leveraged for commercial use effectively and helping people solve problems, then it's meaningless. So, so that's what innovation is in, in a very basic sense. So small growth companies need to be innovative to thrive and, and succeed, right? They always have to keep sustaining or improving their products and services, right? And large companies need to keep innovating so that they're not disrupted by smaller upstarts. Mm-hmm. And so they need to sort of strike a balance, right? Because if they, if they disrupt their own incumbent business and the revenue streams, that's, a, that's tough to do, but important to do. Mm-hmm. But it's always tough when you have a cash cow and you don't want to disrupt it, right? But sometimes yeah. if you don't disrupt it, then others will. And then you can go out of business like uh, Blockbuster would be a sort of a very seminal example, right? Yeah. So innovation means different things to different businesses and different organizations, right? So it's not just for-profit companies, but nonprofits, um, hospitals, universities, even cities can be innovative and need to be innovative to sort of adapt to fast-changing times. Yeah. And when we talk about ecosystems... um I mean, I guess when, when you look at sort of innovation on kind of the slightly bigger scale, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's more than just the company, right? It's the, the whole environment that are operating within, you know, it's everything from kind of the, the universities and the education system, the regulatory issues, the government, um, you know, private industries, other nonprofits. I mean, how, how do you kind of draw the circle around who's included in the ecosystem or who's included in the process of really driving innovation in an industry. Sure. So I think you name most of them there. I would just add investors. So you have mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, you have investors, you have enterprises and corporates, right? Then you have universities and you have government. And then you have you have an also like another layer of support organizations and service providers that make up an ecosystem. So it's all of that is part of a robust ecosystem, right? And everyone, when people think of ecosystem, you know, startup ecosystems that are super successful, they think of Silicon Valley. Everyone for the past 30 plus years have been trying to replicate it. And it's very hard to do, right? But on the other hand, people can learn from what's worked and make their ecosystem or community stronger in certain ways. Again, you can't replicate Silicon Valley Exactly, but you can make it stronger, and we can get into that if you want. Yeah, no, I'd love to because I've, I'm I always find in these cases, you know, something like Silicon Alley, Silicon Alley, in, in New York here, uh, but Silicon Valley, you know, it works because it works for them, right? Like it's it is it kind of the synergies uh, of their kind of situation, their environment, their context, what they're trying to do, the resources they have. 
you know, have come together to create, you know, a little bit of a powerhouse. But I, I do find, you know, trying to absolutely replicate that somewhere else can be difficult because you just, you don't, it's not the same situation, right? It's not the same context, not the same resources. How do you go about looking at a place like Silicon Valley and saying, well, this is what makes that work so well. And when looking at another area saying, okay, well, this is what we need to leverage in this case, and this is how we're going to make it work in this area. But it's not it's not going to be exact replica, but we can kind of borrow and learn. Be curious to get a little bit of your thoughts on, you know, what do you try to copy? What do you not try to copy and why? Well, that's a really good point. One of the most important things to to copy is sort of the generous culture of giving back, right? If, if you can, right? And that sort of takes time, right? Because of course, the universities, right? Great universities, great community, tying to one another and all the investors, right? So it, it's been building over years for Silicon Valley, but you can put together pieces of it by, again, having a lot of activities around entrepreneurship and startups and having successful entrepreneurs help mentor young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs, right? And then having a welcoming, you know, government can even get involved by having a welcoming environment that doesn't have a lot of red tape, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, more and more, and this is the so the spread, the rise of the rest, really, sort of Silicon Valley has been challenged lately, right? Because of, of high costs and people moving out, particularly during this pandemic. But, yeah. you know, so, so there are hubs all around the world and all around the country now. It's not when everything's in the cloud, right? It's easier to sort of create a, a robust hub in different places. As long as you have some talent, you have a hopefully a university, hopefully a welcoming local government. And then you have investors that are there as well, supporting, wanting their hub to be successful. And so it's it's those things that are important. But, you know, one of the things at the end of the day is important is the, that culture of helping one another and that culture of exited entrepreneurs wanting to help their community and supporting in different ways from, again, mentoring, uh, investing, maybe building some accelerators or incubators or things like that, and and really showing love to the community so that we'll prosper. Yeah. I'm curious about kind of each one of these constituents, the role they play, you know, starting with government. I mean, I, I, you know, there's various kind of schools of thought here and not, not to get political necessarily about it, but you know, there's some folks that's like, Hey, just get out of the way. You know, we just, you know, let, let kind of a, a, a capitalist mindset just kind of drive things, just be there to kind of support, but you know, the least amount of kind of oversight, regulatory, you know, involvement, the better from government. I think other folks are, you know, more, more of the model or more of the thinking that, you know, government can play a key role in helping, you know, create some structure and some context and muster resources and kind of plan and organize things in a way that really only governments can. Where do you fall or where do you see kind of the role of government in, you know, creating healthy, sustainable ecosystems for innovation? Well, I think first and foremost, if a government can have, can reduce the red tape and reduce taxes somehow, some way, that will help right? That's harder for more developed in northern states and cities just because of uh, historical costs and infrastructure that are expensive, right? Also schools, right? So more and more governments should be creating a great quality of living because people can move anywhere now and and work from anywhere now. And this is sort of just accelerated in the past year. So it's going to be harder to sort of use tax incentives to bring companies to plop down and uh, help with the tax base, right? And then bring all their employees with them so that they can pay property taxes. That's going to be a harder 
reality in the future. And so some cities and, and states across the country are, are experimenting with, you know, trying to lure talent, actually, uh, with um, grants. And so that's really interesting to watch that experiment taking place. But so, again, quality of life is really important. Low taxes, if at all possible, are, yeah. are nice to have, right? And of course, user friendliness, right? So if the, if the government shows love and, and embraces the entrepreneurial and business community in general, that goes a long way. And it's not super expensive to do that, to really sort of be engaged, right? And then you can have programs that, that offer assistance to entrepreneurs, and there's different grant programs that aren't very expensive. Of course, there's the other end of tax policy, which, which could be as simple as not for states, not to charge a big cap gains tax when they exit their company or to, you know, as they grow their company, give them a break on taxes. That all makes so much sense and doesn't cost a lot particularly for young companies. And the, the nurturing effect of successful entrepreneurs far outweighs sort of the, the cost of, of some receiving a little less taxes. Yeah, yeah. So if you can reduce some of the tax rate up on an on a individual sale, you, just, you create just more taxable base by encouraging more businesses and, and creating more companies and growing companies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the educational system because it's another one I find you know key to kind of these ecosystems, both from uh, developing talent, right? So making sure that I'm I'm producing, educating folks to be um, you know to have the skills and experience and capabilities that early stage companies, growing companies need to to scale their business, but also in terms of you know everything from research and development and developing IP methods, innovation inside the universities, inside the educational facility institutions as well that actually can then feed the private sector with kind of the raw materials intellectually and otherwise to develop businesses against. How do you see the role of education institutions playing and and what have you seen sort of successful approaches for uh, ecosystems? Well, the good thing is that most universities uh, around the country, around the world now have entrepreneurship programs. So that's really a great development, right? So students are being taught entrepreneurship and are more entrepreneurial in general. So that's really good for any community where there is a college. So that way they will start more businesses. These days, they're going to have to be sort of doing side hustles and and freelancers at some point in their careers anyway. So that entrepreneurial mindset is so important. So from a basic educational perspective for undergrads, the the prospect that they will be learning entrepreneurship is just a great thing, right? So that's number one. So the reality that universities and colleges have, you know, build bridges with the community, right? And support entrepreneurs. And it goes back and forth. So entrepreneurs will be able to get interns and do research and spin off technologies from universities. That's sort of a virtuous cycle, right? And that's really great. So the interplay is really important. And so universities as sort of sandbox is really important, right? So people can make mistakes, young people can make mistakes and and really build their experience out. It's really important, that entrepreneurial talent, so that the end product are graduates or people come out of college and, and work for a few years ha- are more uh, flexible and adaptable and more entrepreneurial and innovative wherever they work, whether they work for a small business, a large business, a large nonprofit or they start their own business, or they have a side hustle. Whatever they do, you know, the reality of universities that are, are, you know, doing a good job in that respect is ever so important, is even more important now 
And so for those laggards out there who are not really doing a good job of educating their, their students and nurturing a community, a local community of entrepreneurship and startups and innovation, then those universities and those communities will, by design, suffer. Yeah. And as you look at what actually comes out of these innovation efforts and the innovation ecosystems, you know, I, you know, it's great if we can get, you know, another Google, another Facebook, uh, you know, Twitter, like these big, you know, unicorns that can create, you know, huge amounts of value and, you know, go public and all this stuff. But is that really the goal for all these things? Or how, how do you look at kind of the, the outputs of these programs and the types of businesses, types of companies, types of innovation that you're looking to drive? You know, give me a sense of the the kind of the, the the diversity of of outputs that you're looking for that that is successful for one of these programs. Sure. So that's always the holy grail, right? You have a big Google startup that just yeah. grows and grows and grows, and then donates millions of dollars back to the university, right, and hires the university's graduates. That is the the greatest sort of success of programs like these. There are so few and far between, unfortunately. But that's besides the point, right? That's sort of gravy, I think. Most universities should look on that as gravy, right? If that happens, great. But don't count on it, right? Yeah. They're just one in a million. More importantly is the uh, you know, number of businesses that grow in a, the vicinity of a university, the number of spin-outs from, from faculty. Those are important metrics. The number of events, the sort of engagement, those, those are important. And, and so that ecosystem or that community that sort of is robust, right, and has a university at the core of it or, or part of it, that mm -hmm. is a great thing for the university, right? Because their graduates are going to get hired by these growth companies or startups, right? Or they'll start their own businesses. That's really a great sort of reality. And then the local community will, you know, be more connected to the university. And so you have a robust sort of community there, intellectually stimulating as well. And you have students that can get internships and companies that can get interns and get future employees. So it's really good. And furthermore, Bruce, the important role that universities play in attracting immigrant talent and then teaching them and then having those immigrants start businesses or work for companies is, uh, is so extraordinarily important. It's, it's hard to overstate the value of those of that immigrant talent, because they usually come from the university systems, right? We've been the sort of a beacon of, of you know, great universities for, for, for modern history. And we need to continue to attract them because most of the startups and most of the most successful companies on this planet are started by immigrants to this country, thankfully. And so whatever universities can do to nurture that and continue that would not only help the universities, but help our country and the strength of our economy. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the split of types of companies coming out of these programs or types of companies can be served well by these programs. You know, so we've got kind of classic tech product companies, right? Like I'm going to create some new SaaS product or, you know, something that's, you know, very kind of tech based, you know, but there's lots of different industries, lots of different kinds of companies. Any good examples or any good examples or other areas that you, innovation ecosystems can really help? I mean, or, you know, we, we talked generally about service-based companies here on this podcast. Podcast, but give us a sense of sort of the, the diversity of types of companies can, that can benefit from these kind of innovation programs. Well, I really think all companies can, can be supported by them and positively affected by them, frankly. Everyone benefits from a robust 
startup or entrepreneurial or innovation community or ecosystem. Everyone, regardless of the business, right? So it could be a restaurant, right? Someone could start a restaurant, right? So that will benefit from a robust community, right? So as simple as that. So all those services, businesses that support a community or support people that work in in an innovation ecosystem will prosper as well. Of course, the one you mentioned, services, you know, uh, software as a service, all tech companies are typically right now, you know, benefiting and, and in our digital society, most tech companies will have a greater chance of being obviously growth and successful companies. But there's, there's also healthcare. Healthcare is a huge industry, right? And yeah. everything around healthcare will be critically important going forward. And so, so that's important. Um, I, would, I would say everyone prospers uh, and everyone can be benefit from um, an innovation uh, ecosystem that is really hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. You know, you mentioned this, you know, one of the key parts to the ecosystem is those folks that benefit from the system, grow their business, you know, reach a point of, uh, you know, having having some kind of liquidity event, exit, you know, get bought out or, you know, um, some way by, by some definition read success that they go back in and then, you know, sort of give back and help support the community both you know, indirectly through funding and supporting as well as directly in terms of participating and mentoring and stuff. I guess, when do you encourage leaders to do that? You know, is it once they cut their $100 million check when they when they sell to Google? Is it, you know, when they get to their first million? I mean, how where do you see the involvement and, and when do you encourage leaders to kind of get back involved in, in providing that kind of mentoring and support, whether it's, you know, financial or whether it's, uh, you know, with um, mentoring and being, you know, advising companies at our earlier stages? Sure. So clearly it depends on bandwidth, right? If they're in the trenches, they're not going to have that much time. But on the other hand, you know, a phone call, a Zoom call to mentor young people, you know, is not shouldn't be that hard to work into a schedule, even if it's just a little bit, right? So it could, it could start off being as little as some mentoring, right? And then... Uh, serving on panels at an event, right? Show, being a role model, showing some leadership in the community that way. Not so, you know, very doable, right? Not not heavy lift. Of course, once they exit or, or once they're in a, the growth, the company's in a more mature stage, they can have a little more time to not only spend time with students or with other entrepreneurs, giving guidance, giving advice, but also investing in companies and young ventures. And so, that just depends on their wherewithal. Of course, that comes later when they're closer to an exit, but it just depends. It could come sooner. And even if they don't have the money, they could be part of uh, an advisor to a, a VC, or they could use their leadership position to call attention to the community and to attract more investment capital or attract more entrepreneurs to uh, their hub, per se. Yeah, I, I certainly found in my kind of time as a, a founder and CEO, I did a lot of that fairly early, and it was it, it was quite rewarding. I mean, it was it was always you know personally rewarding to work with some of these other leaders, you know, even if they were kind of at the same level that I was in some cases, but, you know, we can just kind of, you know, consult with them and talk through issues can be, you know, very helpful for them. But honestly, I end up learning a lot, right? Like, I think that's the one thing I always 
I've always kind of kind of kept in mind and encourage people to think about is that, you know, that mentoring relationship, although, you know, sometimes a person is designated as the mentor and the mentee, you know, learning is always happening in both ways. And I, I certainly took a lot out of working with folks, you know, even if they're an earlier stage than I was, you get insights, right? That sometimes it's just they're closer to a part of the market. They're, you know, maybe they're more exposed to some, you know, technology or they've got, you know, some different ways of thinking about things that are maybe a newer and fresher to the market. You know, all those things end up becoming really interesting and, and powerful for me. And, and, you know, being a leader and, you know, even if my business was farther ahead doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not, you know, open and, and willing to learn new ideas and, and new mindsets. So I think that's one thing that I've certainly found personally. And I, I think good ecosystems have encouraged that in different ways. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point, Bruce the value that the entrepreneur gets from it, right? The yeah. intangible intellectual benefit and satisfaction is really an important component and, um, and really just really positive in, in so many ways. Yeah. So you mentioned something earlier I wanted to kind of circle back to was th- this whole kind of remote work trend that, you know, clearly has been un- underway for a couple of years. And obviously the pandemic has, you know, just accelerated a lot of that. How is that impacting these ecosystems and, and kind of what defines the system? I mean, I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was very, you know, like we talked about Silicon Valley, it was very kind of geographic focused and centered around, you know, sort of industry, you know, certain companies or certain universities or, you know, infrastructure, you know, based sort of context. As things become more virtual, what have you found or how has it kind of reshaped or, or changed the way these ecosystems are forming? Yeah, sure. Well, that is a really important development in the history of ecosystems is this uh, movement to the cloud. So I just gave a talk and I'm happy to share it with with your listeners. But it does change things uh, mostly in a positive way, Bruce, and it Mm -hmm. changes things in a positive way for entrepreneurs as well as investors and even universities. There are some concerns though, right? When people can work from anywhere, they will they will work from anywhere and they don't, they might not be so loyal to a community. So that has serious effects for serious negative potential for cities, right? And states that rely on tax revenue from successful talent, right? Or Mm -hmm. smart talent. On the other hand, for entrepreneurs, it provides wonderful flexibility, right? You can get talent from anywhere more easily. On the other hand, you really have to pick up your game on how to sort of work virtually and lead virtually, hire virtually, Get trying to attract capital virtually, right? And and really grow a company in a virtual fashion. So it does take, you know, those entrepreneurs that can really bone up on these virtual skills are going to be more successful than the others. That is a reality. And again, there are benefits, but there are challenges too, right? It's hard to sort of onboard a new hire virtually, right? How do you instill culture? How do you instill loyalty if you're not bumping arms with that person in the kitchen, right? Or, or on a day-by-day uh, or, or in the water cooler, right? So it's, yeah. it does present challenges, but there are, I think the opportunities outweigh the challenges. And of course, for investors, they can invest anywhere more easily, right? So they're more likely to do that. They don't have to live within 20 minutes of where their investment is, like historically the case. So there's more money around. They're more willing to invest outside their their locality. And that's a great thing for entrepreneurs too. So these are really positive possibilities or developments that have been accelerated by the pandemic. Of course, universities too can now access their the global community more easily, right? And their alumni can be involved more easily. And their alumni can invest money in their startups or mentor more easily, right? There's the acceptance that's been gained by this pandemic on doing things virtually and by Zoom 
is really a positive development overall. It's just we, the stakeholders need to sort of adapt properly to take advantage of it and thrive. Yeah. So if, if a listener here is uh, you know, running an early stage company um, and looking to figure out how to leverage, get involved with some of these ecosystems, um, you know, participate more meaningful or, or, or just get involved uh, initially, what are some of the things they can do, places they can look, resources they can find uh, to help them you know, kind of plug into the network and, and hopefully you know, make the job of growing and scaling their business a little easier? Sure. So wherever you're located, there are communities. You just have to Google them and find them. And they are there, whether it's a meetup, whether it's a university, whether it's a trade association. There are hubs of activity everywhere. It's just a matter of finding them and connecting with them. And, you know, one thing we didn't mention, Bruce, was networking. You know, that's a really big skill that particularly young, young people, young yeah. entrepreneurs, get out of their comfort zone get out of their bubble, right? And learn how to network more effectively online, You're leveraging LinkedIn and other things, uh, other platforms. And also when they do actually have in-person contact with, with folks, they're going to have to really take advantage of those opportunities and be thoughtful about them and, and really sort of, again, get out of that sort of comfort zone and put yourself forward and, and just meet people because you never know who you can meet just at a conference or an event and I've, I've had so much success just meeting people that never would have thought of would it be important to my success or, or my yeah. career. And, and so those skills are going to be ever more important. So the ability to network virtually and grow a company or grow your network virtually are going to be ever more important. Yeah, yeah, no, good advice. James, if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. I look forward to connecting with you. It's just James Baroud. There's there's only one, so you should find that pretty easily. <laughs> and I'm happy to, to offer guidance or mentorship or connect you or make introductions as needed. You could also go to a new community that I've launched called innovationplus.us innovationplus.us. Great. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes so people can get that information, check that stuff out. James, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Bruce. This has been great. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.